0: Last week, uh, we talked about this rope, and we made the illustration that this rope, the white part, illustrates eternity. It goes on and on and on and on. If we could do it as far as it uh, could go, it would circle the earth over and over. Now, this little red part actually simply represents our life here on this earth, and we pointed out our, our problem often is we focus on the red part. Everything's about what's going on here and me trying to make this work. And we forget so often about what's coming in the white part. But you see, the truth is, if we focused on what eternity is going to be, it would literally change the way we live in the red part. The red part is so critical because listen closely. It's what happens here in this very, 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 very short period of time that will determine what's going to happen forever. It's going to determine where you spend forever. It's going to determine who you spend it with. And so this morning as we conclude our, our heaven series, we're going to be looking at how do heaven people live in this red part? We're going to be looking at three scriptures that I think are going to help us out. I've asked Jake uh, Bailey, one of our college students who's home for the summer, if Jake would come up and read our first scripture. You'll see it up on the board, Philippians chapter 1, 21 through 24. Jake's just finished his freshman year at a little school east of here, and uh, we are really glad to have him home this summer. Sorry, Jake, just read yeah, the scripture. Well. All right. <laughs> Philippians 1, 21. That Paul's in the exact position we are He's here on this earth But he is longing for heaven And I I like the phrase He is torn between two desires What what are those desires? He knows it would be far better for him to go ahead and die and go to heaven And he's on the verge of that here as he's in prison That would be far better if that were to happen But on the other hand there's still work for him to do You know, often you wonder when when someone is baptized and we have that glorious moment, wouldn't it be awesome if God just sort of beamed them up to heaven right in the moment? But God doesn't do that, does He? Why? Because He has work for us to do. And so Paul finds himself in this position where he's torn. Let me ask you this question up front. Everybody look, give me your eyes. Are you torn? Are we really torn? Is there really a part of us that goes, you know what? Man, I'm ready to get out of this place. I'm ready to go and be with God, but i also got some stuff I want to do here. You see, see, what I'm fearful about myself is the truth is I'm not always real torn. I'm just sort of okay with being here and not thinking a whole lot about that white part. My friends, if we understand what we've been studying the last seven weeks, we would be a people that are torn. You can't preach a series on heaven without telling this story. There was this Sunday school teacher. She's teaching the children about heaven and trying to do the best job she can. It's just little five-year-old kids, and she's all excited. And finally, at the end of the class, she says, raise your hand if you want to go to heaven. And every little kid but one little boy raised their hand. And she's a little bit shocked. And she says, Johnny, do you not want to go to heaven? And he says, oh, I want to go to heaven. I just thought you were getting a trip up now. (laughs) And guys, that's where most of us are. We think this is a good idea, but we're not so sure about right now. So what should happen in between while we're here? Here's, Here's our points today. They're very simple. We should long for heaven, and we should live in a dynamic way for heaven right now. Go with me to our next passage, Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, start with me in verse 10. It's talking about Abraham. It says, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder was God. The great saint, the great man of faith, Abraham, was looking forward to that wonderful city. And then talking about all of these people mentioned in, first, in Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on this earth. Quick question. Do we admit this is not really home? Do we live as if we're foreigners here? People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Scripture says the saints long to go and be with God. I want to tell you why I long for heaven. Write these things down if you get, you've got a chance to take notes this morning. Number one, one thing that makes me long for heaven is a sobering reality of hell. Guys, understand this. In this long, long white part, there's only two places here. Uh, You you will either spend eternity with God, or you will spend eternity without God. And and the bottom line word for that is you'll either spend eternity in heaven or in hell. And so one thing that should motivate us to to long for heaven is that we don't want to be in hell. I love the story of Senator Dirksen from Illinois, and he was running for office. And one man came up to him and said, Senator, I wouldn't vote for you if you were St. Peter himself. And Senator Dirksen said, if I were St. Peter, you couldn't vote for me because you're not in my district. <laughs> just think about that one for a second. There, there are two districts, guys. And honestly, this is not a laughing matter. And if we could be really blunt here for just a second. No one talked about hell more than Jesus. Sometimes we, we, we hear some Christians say, I'm a red-letter Christian, I just believe the stuff that's in the red letters. Often they say that because they don't want to deal with some of the things Paul and Peter taught. So I'm, just a re- I'm telling you, if you're just a red-letter Christian, you can't get away from the teaching on hell. Jesus talked about it. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, he said, Fear not the man who can destroy the body, but fear the one who can destroy both your body and your soul in hell. Now, guys, I would admit to you, being fearful of hell is not the highest motivation. But it is a motivation. had a roommate in college, Wiley Mullins, and... Anytime Wiley started thinking about doing something wrong, he'd go, oh, but I don't want to go to hell. <laughs> I just, oh, it, it kept him out of a lot of trouble. And guys, that's not where we want to stop. But if what you need to do to start is, is to, to face the reality of hell, to motivate you, then that's not a bad place. God won't leave you there. He's should to make your motivation to go to heaven. He's going to make your motivation simply because you want to be with God and love him. But it starts all there. I like what I read this, this week. In this world, unbelievers are as close as they'll ever get to heaven. In this world, believers are as close as they'll ever get to hell. Just think about that. You see, often we say when someone dies, and I've said it lots of times, and often it's extremely accurate, I'm so thankful their suffering's over. But listen to me, if they're not a follower of Jesus, their suffering's not over. It's worse. We've got to be motivated. Number two, why are we longing? Amounting frustration with this world. Because we live in a fallen world. Something that's really hit me through this series is what was lost in the fall in Eden will be restored when Jesus comes back and creates the new heaven and the new earth. But in between, we live, guys, it's not just that, you know, we make mistakes and this world's a little messed up. We live in a fallen world. Uh, The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, it's so bad, the earth groans. Are you sick of tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes and floods and droughts? We live in a fallen world. And Paul says also, our body groans. Are you tired of the aches and pains of life? It's because we live in a fallen world. Listen to me. This is not the way it was supposed to be. And then, are you sick and tired of death? Now, Nathan mentioned it earlier. What happened in Buffalo a couple of weeks ago, what happened in Uvalde, Texas this week, as we all know, is horrific beyond words. at a funeral here in this building this week for our brother Ron Jaworski because we're never very far from death and what I want you to know is death was not a part of the original plan and we ought to be frustrated with it you know that scene in John chapter 11 where Jesus comes to the tomb of Lazarus and you know our all time favorite memory verse John eleven thirty-five. 35 Jesus wept you remember that one Guys, I think there's two reasons Jesus wept there. Number one, because Mary and Martha were weeping. He knew, he knew Lazarus would resurrect. But the big reason I think Jesus wept is because when he stands there at that tomb around dead, dead bodies, he knows that's not the way it's supposed to be. He's weeping over the fallen condition of the world that we live in. And that leads me to number three, a growing anticipation of eternal reunion. The longer you live, let's just be honest, the more people that you know and love will die. The more people that will go before you, and one of your great motivations, one of my great motivations to go to heaven is just to see those people. How about you? I see people in this audience right now, and I know you've been hanging on this series because you, you, you had the ultimate loss of a child. And it keeps you mega motivated that you believe that one day you'll be back with them. I don't know if it's just because I'm preaching this series right now, but I woke up on Saturday morning Knees before feet, got on my knees, and the first thing that came to my mind were people in heaven that I miss. And, and, and literally, I could name you the top five people I miss in my life right now. And I just thank God for them. And I said something that didn't need to be said, God, would you please take care of them? Guys, we long for heaven, for that incredible reunion. I think of the funeral that happened here in this building for our brother Ron Jaworski. Ron was such a great parent, such a great grandparent. One of my favorite stories was of his grandson Hayden. When he turned 18 years old, his parents asked him what he wanted for his birthday party. He said, I want a peanut butter chocolate cake. And I want Papa to be there. That's all he wanted. Listen, he lives with this hope, this anticipation that one day they'll be reunited. Our brother Doug Mitchell has been traveling to Tennessee this week to bury his sister who died. Very different. He's worried about his mom. Doug texted me yesterday and he said, I've been listening all the way to Tennessee, to all these messages on heaven. And this is what sustains me. My friends, we have a growing anticipation of that. And number four, we have a rising elation of seeing God. We talked about that in last week's message. What happens when you see God? What happens when we come into the presence of a God who all through the Bible you, you were told you don't want to see him? If you see Him, it'll explode every fiber of your body. He's so perfect, He's so holy, and we're so unholy. Isaiah 59 says, your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden His face from you. But the promise of heaven is when we see Him face to face, we will be just like Him. Can you imagine what it will be like to be around God? God. One of the coolest things I've studied, is you brought us back in Revelation 21, when it described the dimensions of heaven, it was a perfect cube. You know, the only other thing that's a perfect cube in Scripture is the holy of holies in the temple. What's God trying to say? In heaven... Not just one man, once a year, scared to death. Every one of us saints who believe and trust Jesus will be in heaven with God forever, face to face. And we will never tire of being around Him. We will never stop learning about Him. We will just simply grow deeper and deeper and more and more in love. More and more fascinated. We'll be with God. And so this morning I ask you again, do you long? Do you long for heaven? It, it's something, you know, most cultures have really longed for heaven when they've been in trouble. I guarantee you, when we visit Malawi, Africa and our mission work, those folks sing about heaven all the time. One of the top two impoverished nations in the world, man, heaven is their focus. Because they're not able to make it too comfortable right here. Why do some of the greatest songs about heaven come from those awful days in America when we held slaves? Because those people knew this was not the way it was supposed to be. And they yearned to be with God. My friends, there needs to be a longing in us to see God. I'm about to show you a little video clip from a movie you may remember from a few years ago. Antoine Fisher. This is a really great scene. If you know the story of the movie, or if you don't know it, I'll sum it up for you really quickly. Antoine Fisher grew up within a horrific childhood. Didn't know who his parents were, lived on the streets. He finally joined the Navy, but his anger issues were so terrible that the Navy said, you got to go see a psychologist, you got to go see a counselor. And he goes, and they try to dig deep into why he's so overwrought with anger toward everybody and everything. And finally, the counselor says to him, Antoine, what you've got to do is you've got to make peace with your past. And somehow you've got to go find your family. And the scene you're about to see is when he walks in the home and is greeted by a family he didn't even know about. And I want to show this for, for two purposes. Number one, because this is the kind of scene we can expect in heaven multiplied by infinity. But number two, what you'll see here, because this happens with families, doesn't it? Once they get in the house, it's all centered around a table. And the great picture in Scripture of heaven is this incredible table. And we get a taste of this the next few moments as we take communion together. So as you watch this and you see this table that's overflowing with incredible food, I want you to think about this table that we're about to meet around that's overflowing with incredible grace and love. And just get a taste of heaven. I always... Sit here on Sundays and just amazed at um, Jeremy's song selection and, and how, how perfect it is what we are talking about. Listen, listen to the first lines of what you just sang. How I long to breathe the air of heaven where pain is gone and mercy fills the streets, to look upon the one who died to save me and walk with him for all eternity. What a great longing we have. But we also got to recognize, though, that we have a dual citizenship. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says that we are, but our citizenship is in heaven. So, how do we live between these two worlds? You know, first century Christians had a big issue with this, they thought Jesus would return so quickly. Paul has to write the book of First Thessalonians to tell them to stop selling their houses and stop quitting their jobs. Because they were so excited about heaven, they thought it was going to happen. So they just put their life on hold. And here's what I want to say to you this morning. We're not challenging you to put your life on hold. We long for it. But God has left you with some work to be done. Let's get some instructions. First Peter chapter 4. Look at me beginning in verse 7. He says the end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. So that all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. What does Peter say about what should happen? While I not only long for heaven, while I live for heaven. He says the end is near. This should have an impact on what you do now. Let me give you just a few things here. First of all, he says we need to be prayerful. And I, I like the way he put it. He said, if we're alert and we're sober minded, we will pray. One translation says, if we're serious and sensible we will pray listen guys if we are sober minded and we're serious and we know what's going on around us we know the spiritual warfare going on around in the world that we live we know that satan is doing everything he can to keep you from heaven you see he's been cast in hell and he wants you to spend eternity with him and guys, so it, what, what Peter's saying is, guys, the, the motivation to pray is that we know what's going on. We know how fallen this earth is. We know how awful hell is. We know how wonderful heaven is. And that's what motivates us to pray. Listen to me. To me. I'm talking to myself right here. If you and I are having a hard time with our prayer life, the reason is that we're not sober and sensible about what's going on. If we would open our eyes to what's going on and what is at stake, we would be incredibly prayerful people. Let me, let me just give you a couple of quick biblical prayers for you to pray. One is, Lord, come quickly. Because if we understand what we've studied these last seven weeks, that ought to be on our lips very often. Lord, we're ready, we're longing to be taken out of this place in a place forever. And then we also should pray that prayer that Jesus taught us, your kingdom come. You see, between now and when Jesus comes back and renews the earth, our job is to start bringing heaven to earth. Our job is to bring the kingdom of God here. We've got work to be done. So number one, we would be prayerful. Number two, we would be graceful. He says the most important thing I can tell you about this in-between time is that you love each other deeply. Listen to me, friends. That's how heaven people are known. Because we love like nobody else. That's How do they know that we're different? How do they know we're heaven people? Because we love everybody. We love unconditionally. We love without judgment. Where can you find this in this world? I'm just telling you, I'm so glad right now, at least for a few months, the political campaigns are over. It's the meanest, nastiest things on whatever side you stand. People don't run on what they're going to do. They run on making up things about their opponent. And half the ads aren't even true. Because we live in a country with such division that we think for me to win, I've got to destroy you. And it's not just in politics. And the truth is, my friends, is we're the people who don't make these divisions worse. We're the people who bring people together in love. We're the people where you can come and go, you know what? Here's a place where I can find a love that will transform me. I think of a young man that came to this church just a few months ago. I wish I could tell you more of his story. One day, I'm going to bring him up in front of you. Man, he came here out of being in prison, young age, grew up in incredible poverty. And I'm hearing him share in his ABC group Wednesday Night about he's, how different he thinks today than he did just a few months ago. Where a few months ago he thought, man, if it's yours and you're not strong enough to protect it, I can take it. It's really the way he grew up. It's the way a lot of people are growing up in our country today. I can take yours. If you're not strong enough to protect it, you don't deserve it. And now he's going, you know what? Man, I'm here not just to not take. I'm here to give. My friends, that's what love does to people. And he gets real practical here about how we show love. He brings up hospitality. Well, I love that. That's one of the greatest ways, especially in a culture where not many people have many people over their homes, is to show hospitality in your homes. I've heard Linda Tarot say, so often there's something powerful that happens when someone puts their feet under your table. Because that's one of the greatest ways that we love each other. The notice she said, show hospitality without what? Are, are y'all reading your Bible? Show hospitality without what? Grumbling. <laughs> That's a good challenge, isn't it? How many times do you have somebody over here grumbling? Man, it's gonna take us all day to clean this house up. Who invited these people? <laughs> I mean, why do I No, he said, No, no, no. You do it out of love. And you show that. Guys, listen, I think there's something we probably gotta clear up in the church here. Grumbling is not a spiritual gift, okay? So Some of you may think, but it's not. So he says, we are to be prayerful, we are to be graceful, we are to be useful. We're not just sitting around waiting for Jesus to come back. Peter says, everyone has been given a gift to serve others. One of the most exciting things about the church in the New Testament, about what we believe is the priesthood of all believers That says I'm no more important than you are, and there's not a hierarchy of ministers. We are all ministers. So, someone asks you how many ministers does the landmark church have? I would say we got at least a thousand, because we have all been given gifts to be used. Here's what really, really bothers me. And sometimes I look out at some of you guys and you're using your gift at your school and you're using your gift at your business and you're using it all in different places. But when it comes to the church, you feel like it's okay just to sit here. My friends, we've been called to be useful. We've been called for whatever gift you have is that you to use it between now and when Jesus comes back. And your gift needs to be used for a whole lot more than just making money. Your gift needs to be used to help people come to Christ because in the end, that's all that's going to matter. So what is your gift? We all have different gifts. Not asking us all to do the same thing. That'd be unbiblical. But asking us all to do something. In this red part on this long, long rope, we want to impact as many as possible. I love the old phrase. Many of us grew up with people saying, I want to go to heaven and I want to take what? As many as possible with me. That's not a bad goal. And then finally, he says, You need to be biblical. If you speak, you need to speak the very words of God. Because we're living a culture where in full display every day we're seeing what happens when people move away from Scripture. You know, there was a day in our country. Everybody probably didn't live it, and everything wasn't right. But if you were on TV and someone said, "Wow, look at all this crime, or look at all the drugs, or or look at all the people in prison, or or look at what's happening to the families, or look at all these children growing up in terror," someone would say, "Okay, but here's what God said about it. Here's what the Bible says. We don't live in that day anymore, and because we don't live in that day." We're seeing every day the evidence of it. And that's why he says, guys, in between now and then, keep yourself rooted, keep yourself anchored in the very words of God. If not, guys, you have no basis to live your life. If not... We end up going, well, I I just want to go try all these things. Guys, you can try stuff the rest of your life and screw your whole life up and mess up everybody around you. Just go try that one. It doesn't work. God says you don't have to go try everything. You've got black and white. This is the way you live. So in these, what Paul would say, last days, guys, we stay firmly rooted in the Word of God. So what are we going to do? Man, we're longing for heaven. What happens in this red part? Not only do we long for heaven, and we know that it really is all about the white part, but right now, we live for heaven. We're prayerful. We're gracious and loving. We're useful. We are rooted in the truth of God. And we won't... Not only for us to spend eternity with God. I mean, just, th- this contrast is just unbelievable. And, and this, this doesn't even come close to the contrast between life on this earth and life for eternity. And so we long for that and we live for that. And guys, if we really want to be honest, the most important thing you do in this little red part of our rope is you decide where you're going to spend eternity. Let me give you a quotation from C.S. Lewis, I think, that sums it up well. There are only two kinds of people in the end those who say to God, Thy will be done, and those to whom God says, Thy will be done. You understand that? See, what God's not going to do, He's not going to take away your choice. If you choose to live without him in this red part, if you choose to rebel against him, if you choose not to listen to Scripture, if you choose just to go your own way, God is going to say, okay, you made your choice. Um, I'm honoring your will. You chose to live without me. You'll live without me forever. But my friends, if we humble ourselves before a God who longs for us, who loves us, who's building a paradise for us right now, who's done everything within his power through giving his son and through the cross and through the resurrection to say, I got a promise for you. I got a promise that you can be guaranteed of. Our first message in this series was Easter Sunday. The promise of heaven is the resurrection of Jesus. If we believe that, then we start saying right now, Whew, I'm not living for me. Thy will be done. Is it time for you in your life to give up your will and your way of life? Listen, I'll tell you two things. Number one, it's not working now. And you feel it. But number two, it's going to be a disaster in eternity. But if you'll just surrender, you might not even understand what God's telling you to do. might even, you know, some of it may go, man, you want me to forgive that person? You want me to live this way? But if you'll just surrender your will to his will, I'm telling you, man, life here, you're going to have a purpose for this life, and one day you're going to be in a place of perfection. We're about to sing one of my favorite hymns, It Is Well With My Soul. I love that hymn. And here's the only question I want to ask you is can you honestly sing it? Okay? If it's not well with your soul, let me me tell you, you're at the right place. If if, if honestly you're not in a good place with God and, and you want to change that direction right now for all of eternity, today could be the day that you commit your life to Jesus and are born again and come out of that water not to go straight to heaven but to go serve for God on this earth or if you've done that once and now you need to recommit your life to following Jesus and you, you've heard all this and you're like, oh my goodness, I just don't even think about heaven that much. I want to long for it. I want to live for it. And I want to surrender to Jesus. Just, just meet me here on this front row before we get out of this place. We'll pray for you, and the direction of your life can be completely different than when you walked in. So as we sing this awesome hymn, be thinking about your soul. Most of you, I guarantee you, can sing this, and I want you to sing it with all of your heart and as loud as you can. It is well, it is well with my soul. Man, what a great place for most all of us to be. But if for some reason you're one of those few people sitting here today where you really can't honestly sing that, do something about it. Do it right now while we stand and sing.